This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. A measure barring transgender athletes from competing on girls or women's sports teams in public schools is becoming law in Mississippi. This year, more than 20 states are proposing restrictions on athletics or gender-confirming health care for transgender minors. Conservative lawmakers say they are responding to an executive order signed by Democrats President Joe Biden that bans discrimination based on gender identity in school sports and elsewhere. Mississippi became the first state to enact such a proposal after a federal court blocked a similar measure in Idaho last year. Governor Tate Reeves signed the Mississippi Fairness Act into law yesterday with a group of mostly Republican lawmakers standing behind him. Senate Bill 2536 is set to become law on July 1st, but a legal challenge is possible. Governor Reeves called it a special day in Mississippi for women and girls. I am proud of the stand Mississippi is taking on this issue with the passage and ultimately the signing of the Mississippi Fairness Act. It sends a clear message to my daughters and all of Mississippi's daughters that their rights are worth fighting for. I'd like to personally thank Senator Angela Hill, Representatives Becky Curry, Stacy Wilkes, Jill Ford, and all of these men and women that are standing behind me. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, Speaker Pro Tim White, all of the individuals in the Mississippi legislature who stood up for our girls from Mississippi. This legislation will work to create a fair playing field for the female athletes of our state. Republican Senator Angela Hill of Picayune authored the bill. The measure passed both chambers largely along party lines, with most Republicans supporting the bill and most Democrats either opposing it or refraining from voting. Senator Hill tells reporters she doesn't have any evidence of transgender athletes competing in Mississippi schools or universities, but she says coaches tell her it's an urgent matter. I have spoken with many of those athletes and, you know, I have spoken with coaches, and coaches know that it's not fair for biological males to compete on female teams in Mississippi. And it's just a good day for women's rights in Mississippi. In your conversations with coaches, 
Have you heard any examples of transgender athletes attempting to try out for girls or women's sports? The coaches have told me that this is an imminent problem in Mississippi, and that's basically all the details that they were willing to give me. So they don't, they don't know any examples of it happening already? Um, I can't tell you that they don't know any examples. I believe they do know examples. I think that they wanted to leave it in general terms, but they told me that this was an urgent matter, that Mississippi needed a policy because they are already being faced with this. But I cannot give you names because coaches didn't tell me specific instances, but coaches told me that this was an imminent issue in Mississippi. Senator, uh, you hear from Rob Hill with the Human Rights Campaign. And one thing he says is by the signing of this bill, there is this welcoming of discrimination against transgender athletes. What's your response or your thoughts on that? I would say that this bill ensures that women are not discriminated against. This is about women and women's rights. This is a bill to protect women. We have been able to protect women for 50 years in this country since Title IX without being beaten up and, and without being accused of discrimination. That was the whole reason that we got women, female sports teams to begin with is so that females could compete on an equal playing field. No matter what somebody identifies themselves as, women are unique, men are unique. Men are biologically, physically stronger. Um, we know that even some of these elite athletes um, can be beaten in their own game by their brothers. Um, I mean, it's just that simple. It's common sense. We are protecting women's sports. We want them to be able to continue to get their medals, their scholarships. We don't want them to be beat 10 times in a row by a biological male. And that's what the purpose of this is. The state chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union says the Senate bill is not about protecting fairness in women's sports. In a statement, the ACLU said it's about erasing and excluding transgender people from participation in all aspects of life. And that it creates solutions to problems that do not exist in Mississippi. Lawmakers met another big deadline this week, the deadline to pass general bills originating in the House and Senate chambers, a Senate measure that would serve as an alternative medical marijuana program generated a lot of debate on Wednesday before it died on the House floor. Lawmakers in the Senate passed a medical cannabis bill earlier this session to replace Initiative 65 should the initiative be struck down by the Mississippi Supreme Court. The mayor of Madison is challenging the constitutional amendment over signature collections. The House killed the bill, indicating they'd rather wait and see what the court rules instead of drafting a bill that could be different from what voters approved. But hours later, the Senate revived the dead legislation by inserting it as an amendment into the bill known as Harper Grace's Law. That's a separate bill that deals with CBD, a cannabis-derived oil that's currently used for medicinal purposes in Mississippi. The program is up for reauthorization this year. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman explains. What the Senate has repeatedly done, and again today, is offered a backstop to the to the Section 65 Constitutional Amendment. And in it, it says that if the Supreme Court says that this is not a constitutional amendment, then we pick up Section 65 and we insert it into the Mississippi law so that children and others will have medical marijuana. What's wrong with that? I can't think of anything wrong with that. If the Supreme Court doesn't, does rule its constitution, this law does not take effect. So what we have done is come along and realize what people wanted with medical marijuana. We have provided that in the legislation, and we went forward. All of a sudden, 
some of the people who wanted medical marijuana don't want it anymore. Why not? Among those in favor of medical marijuana is Republican Representative Joel Baumgar of Madison. He supported Initiative 65, spending millions of dollars of his own money to back the campaign. Baumgar was vocal during Wednesday's House debate about getting rid of the first Senate measure to create an alternative medical marijuana program. We don't need a vote on this today. This is ridiculous. The people already voted on this. They voted 74%. There is no benefit to sending this to the board today. We send this to the board today. You're screwing over everybody who voted for Initiative 65, and you're screwing over everybody who voted against Initiative 65. This is a no-win situation, and we are playing games with the voters. And I ask that you oppose it, and ultimately we need to make this entire thing go away. Representative Baumgar later told Mississippi Today reporter Jeff Pender that the Senate's action was absolutely ridiculous and that the House should kill the new measure that provides for an alternative program. Members of the clergy in Mississippi are urging Governor Reeves and state legislators to consider expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Ministers with Working Together Mississippi hand-delivered letters with more than 300 signatures of faith-based leaders across the state. They took the letters to the Capitol on Wednesday, calling the state's failure to expand Medicaid a health issue and a moral issue. Bishop Ronnie Crudup is with New Horizon International in Jackson. Over 10 years ago, the state of Mississippi was at a crossing over point. And we decided in relationship to health care, and the state decided not to accept over $9 billion from the Affordable Care Act that caused this state to really go into a wilderness experience and a lot of jobs were lost, hospitals were closed, untold suffering has taken place to Mississippians. Uh, we've been in a tough, tough place over those years, but we're excited to announce today, particularly with the passage uh, by uh, the Relief Act uh, and signed by uh, the President, that here we are now, not 40 years later, thank God, but 10 years later, we're at another wonderful place to be able to cross over when it comes to health care in the state of Mississippi. Because in that relief bill, then that relief bill incentivizes states that did not expand Medicaid, and Mississippi is one of those. There is an extra $300 million for the, uh, a year for the next two years that will come to the state of Mississippi because of this incentive. Plus, the Hospital Association and one of their representatives, Reverend uh, Heath Ferguson, is standing with us. They're imposing a tax upon themselves that will generate another $200 million a year that, frankly, will go on after that. But over the next two years, the state of Mississippi will reap a billion dollars. I want people out there to hear that. A billion dollars will come to the state of Mississippi once again for expanding Medicaid in this state and our people need it. The Republican supermajority in the legislature has shot down efforts to expand Medicaid this session and Governor Reeves has repeatedly rejected the idea. During a press event this week, he said his thoughts on the issue have not changed. 
The leader of the Mississippi Department of Transportation is retiring at the end of this month. Melinda McGrath is the first woman to serve as executive director, and she's been on the job for 10 years. She's been with MDOT for 36 years overall. The engineer met with other transportation commissioners on Tuesday and told them of her resignation plans. The commissioners had nominated her to remain as executive director until April of 2025, but the nomination had not yet moved through two Senate committees. Central District Transportation Commissioner Willie Simmons is a former member of the Mississippi Senate. He declined to say whether the resignation was driven by legislative politics. He said McGrath worked hard to get more funds from the state to pay employees and complete projects, but it was a challenge for her. I think the legislative body puts the Department of Transportation in the mix with all other state employees. Although we are special funded, uh, they put us in the mix. And if other state agencies uh, are not getting a pay raise of any kind, then they put us in the same category. And we are not allowed to adjust and take care of those salary needs of our employees. So that's the kind of thing we've been caught up in, public policy, and just not paying our employees what they should be. You know, at the federal level now, we're talking about the possibility and an effort to put forth a $15 minimum wage and yet, we have here in Mississippi essential employees who are going out and working in employment weather day and night and making less than $10 an hour. That is a tragedy and one that needs to be addressed by the state legislature. Republican Senator Jennifer Branning, who serves as chair of the Senate Highways and Transportation Committee, declined to comment on McGrath's resignation. Republican Charles Busby of Pascagoula is chair of the Transportation Committee in the House. He says McGrath's replacement has some big shoes to fill. I hope our commissioners are already looking, uh, looking within the agency and outside of the agency. Uh, someone, uh, I think it's almost a necessity that they have an engineering background. And I think it's also a necessity that they have a, a business background because it is very it is a very big business to run, as you well know, with a budget over a billion dollars a year. So it's a lot of responsibility. So I, I hope they they have their feelers out for the right person. The right person is going to be hard to find. And Melinda leaves some pretty big shoes to fill. It has been a year since the first COVID-19 case was reported in Mississippi. Since then, nearly 300,000 Mississippians have tested positive. Almost 6,900 have died from COVID-19. Today's numbers, as reported by the State Department of Health, include 763 new cases of the coronavirus and 19 additional deaths. So let's get straight to the point now with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. Good to have you all with us as always on that Good issue. Let's start where we just finished there on uh, COVID-19 and this enormous relief package that's just been uh, signed by President Biden. Uh, Brandon, this could mean uh, a good bit of money for Mississippi. Yeah, this is a tremendous moment in American public policy. One of the biggest bills to be passed in a generation. The American Rescue Plan um, cuts child poverty in half, 
uh, you know, we're, we're joining the rest of the Western world, the rest of the industrial nations in terms of having some type of safety for child poverty. So in addition to providing additional revenue and funds to get the vaccine into communities, in addition to helping to create safe spaces at schools as they reopen across the country, you also have this very important bedrock change in American policy for a year that addresses this, this expansion of the child tax credit. And I thought it was also exciting, the president saying that he is going to ask states to open up the vaccination process to all beginning in May. So that's, that's big news. And, and of course, we continue to try to get Mississippians vaccinated here. I saw Tate Reeves said 31,322 people were vaccinated yesterday in Mississippi. 31,322. That's a record in Mississippi for a one-day throw. That's great. Uh, Again, the governor, uh, the National Guard, the Department of Health, they all deserve a lot of credit for the efforts that they have made in getting people vaccinated. It was a slow process in the beginning. They took their lumps. They figured it out. Um, and I'm just glad to see that those, those numbers are, are going up for those who, who want to get vaccinated. I've yet to get vaccinated. I want to get vaccinated, and I hope to do that. Yet. I'm not 50 yet. Oh, Nowhere okay. near it, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> no one at the table is 50 just yet, but uh, our time is coming, according, uh, according to the president. Uh, we're learning where some of this money could go, and this could benefit specifically the, the city of Jackson. Yeah. First, let me say just real quickly, Senator Roger Wicker deserves a lot of credit. He fought openly to get money for small businesses, small restaurants specifically. Uh, I know he ultimately voted against the bill, but there was that aspect that got put in there that he deserves a lot of credit. There is a lot of money that could potentially go to the city of Jackson to help um, not just not just repair, but fix potentially the whole thing, I hope, uh, for the water and sewer system uh, in Jackson. Um, there are a lot of details about the bill that you know we're all trying to, to figure out. Um, but there's a lot of money that's coming to Mississippi. There may be a lot of money that's going directly to, to county specifically, municipality specifically, but definitively there's money that appears that could go to help fix the situation that is, you know, a generational long uh, problem with uh, the pipes underneath the street and of course the, the water treatment system in Jackson as well. But that's got nothing to do with with COVID. So how is it that this is that part of uh, the issue that a lot of Republicans have brought up, that there is there's a lot of money in this enormous package that has nothing to do with COVID. And we 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 could perhaps celebrate that in a place like Jackson. How things are done in Washington, D.C. Sometimes there are these mega packages that are passed. This was a one point nine trillion dollar package that was passed, has nothing to do with COVID. But, you know, they're they're just these catch all uh, appropriations bills that happen. Um, and, 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 this did, and this was one. So to answer your question, no, it doesn't. Well, I actually think uh, that it is tailored to address COVID. The small businesses and large businesses weren't the only people impacted. I mean, municipalities were impacted. Municipal employees were impacted. You have serious budget challenges across our state and across the country that are COVID related. So you can't have the economy uh, face the type of challenges that we faced over the course of the last year and that not impact bottom lines in you know, uh, city halls across the country. What I hope the state won't do is abdicate its responsibility to its own cities. You know, we like to kind of 
uh, look at the federal government and sound off about it and talk about how much we're against it. We are a state that is more reliant on the federal government than any other state in the United States of America. West Virginia may argue with that. They might argue with that, but I mean, we're in a close run <laughs> for a state that spends a lot of time cussing sure. the Capitol. And I think here we are with a responsibility to people in Jackson without water, with a serious infrastructure program right here in our welcome center to the entire state. And there are bills in the legislature now that would allow the city to begin to address some of that. House Bill 1439 would simply allow the city to vote, to see if it wanted to apply 1% to its sewer and water treatment. I hope the state won't abdicate its responsibility yeah, to Jackson. And, and here's a point that we agree. We're not going to agree on a lot of the details of this. But we agree at 40,000 feet that, that something's got to be done to mm -hmm. fix the infrastructure problems. And I'm talking about roads. We're talking about water and sewer infrastructure in Jackson. We are still, and I live here in Jackson, I still have to boil my water if I want to drink it. Well, I'm not going to drink it because I ain't got time to boil my water. But there are a lot of other people who are dealing with this all throughout Jackson. Well, I'm sorry. Everybody who lives in Jackson is dealing with the boil water notice. Many have dealt with just no water. So I, I agree that the state should work with city officials to fix this. But I have said last time, and I agree here, th there got to be some strings attached to make sure that if, if, if they're going to be state funds that are brought here or federal funds that are controlled by the state that are sent here, let's make sure this is done right, okay? Because we get one chance to do this, let's make sure that it's, it's done the right way. And speaking of federal dollars, Bishop Crudup mentioned the fact that there are a lot of federal dollars on the line. Should Mississippi choose to expand Medicaid, it has seemed unlikely for a long time now that the governor would go along. He's reiterated that. But, Brandon, we've heard more talk of expanding Medicaid this year than we did in all of, uh, of last year. Is, is, is something changing? Well, it continues to be the most pressing public policy issue, I think, facing our state. Uh, we are in the vast minority of states. There are Republican states, Democratic states, independent, you know, purple, blue, red states that have expanded Medicaid because of the enormous health benefit to its people who aren't covered under the current program. Also, because of the relief it provides to employers, because now you have a more sustainable, larger pool for people to get their insurance from, but also the healthcare infrastructure. Let's not forget, guys, we have hospitals that have closed their doors in the last five years. A hospital association who is not particularly liberal, who has said, we have to have this for the business of hospitals to work in Mississippi. And we've always found a way to say no. Well, what happened in the American Rescue Plan is once again, they are incentivizing states like Mississippi so that we could take advantage of this, Wilson, as if we were doing it in 2008. I think that's an important point, because if you'll remember when the American, when the Affordable Care Act passed, it had a phase out of the benefit. So if you would have accepted expansion that moment, you didn't have to pay the additional premium. Well, what they've done is reset the clock. So they look at states like Mississippi, like Georgia, and they say, this is your opportunity, and you don't even have to pay in those first three years. It's covered. And I tell you, there's no excuse this time. The governor's tried and true excuses. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. There's no question now. There is no economic argument to be made that Mississippi does not gain from this plan. Yeah, I mean, look, I just don't think the political will is there for it to happen. I know Brandon's like, well, go make the political will happen. But <laughs> it's right. just not. I mean, I think you have all three leaders, uh, you know, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker, and I would assume, you know, there are committee chairs involved with this as well who just don't want to do this, who just don't believe this is the right thing to do, that ultimately taxpayers are going to have to pay more for this. We do pay federal taxes. It will cost us more. There is concern that 
what happens if the federal if, if the federal side of the deal collapses and then we've added all these new folks to, to Medicaid, well, the Mississippi taxpayers would be responsible. But listen, I understand Medicaid is maybe the most important program in the state. Arguably, it's it's definitively one of the top three or four most important programs in the state. It we have got to make sure the folks that are on Medicaid are getting treated the right way. They're getting access to the, to, to a, you know good services, good doctors. But I I mean I just I have a lot of confidence in what Drew Snyder has done as the executive director of that program, and I, I, I you know I. I I know he's focused on trying to make it better with the dollars that he has now uh, for the folks that are on Medicaid. But, 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 you know, it doesn't matter who Drew is or how smart he is or how good he is. If we're not fully availing ourselves of the law, Drew is doing this job with his hands tied behind his back. And so this is, this is silliness. We're, and, and look, I'll tell you, Austin, I don't disagree with you. I do think you're right when you say the political will's not there. Heck, they tell us that it's not there. But what does that say about us? We just had this huge signing ceremony with hundreds of people signing an anti-trans athlete bill and the sponsor of the bill can't give an example of where this is happening. So you mean to tell me that's a higher priority than closing hospitals and people not being able to get emergency care in their community? There are places in this state where if you're in a bad accident, you can't get a hospital. That's bad. That's silly. So the political will does need to be there. This is, we don't need to be talking about potato head. We don't need to be talking about trans. We need to be talking about health care. All right, let's move on. To, we have about three minutes left. I want to get to medical marijuana. And Austin, what's happening with this? Because we, we have, we've had a lot of debate and even some interesting uh, wrangling of legislation over an issue that might be a mood issue when it's all over if the Supreme Court doesn't strike Initiative 65. What's happening here? Real quickly, go back in history. Last year, the voters passed Initiative 65. 70% or more of the voters, you know, give or take, passed this, said, let's do this. That added that to the state constitution, directed the Mississippi Department of Health to go create a medical marijuana program that had all these variables about this is what it costs for you to get a license if you want to be a cultivator or um, whatever aspect that you want to be a part of this this is what it's going to cost you to do this therefore this year senator blackwell kevin blackwell introduced a bill senate bill 2765 which says we're going to go create a pair a, a new medical marijuana program that had different fees associated different costs different licenses than what the voters passed in, in, in 65, it said the only people that can give a medical marijuana uh, prescription are doctors. In Blackwell's bill, it gave nurse practitioners, dentists, doctors. So there's just different aspects in this of, of this legislation that, that passed the Senate versus what 70% of the voters said. And it's been an argument back and forth between the House and the Senate about should we pass this bill? It's obviously coming down to the very last minute. And it appears of what we saw at the Capitol on Wednesday in the House, there's not, there's not enough will uh, with, I would say, a majority of, of both Republicans and Democrats to move this bill uh, out of, particularly the Senate bill, out of the House. It's a convoluted process. Brandon's rolling his eyes because I've already confused him, <laughs> but sort of that's where it is. Brandon, you've got a minute to sort it out for us. <laughs> well, look, I, I, there's a pretty simple political analysis for me. Whenever people never talk about a concept or they're against it, and then suddenly it passes by 75% and they can't shut up about it, I would be a little bit suspicious. Delbert Hoseman did not support the expansion of medical marijuana. 
He didn't support it. Yeah. Neither did Kevin Blackwell, the sponsor of this bill. They before. were both, yeah, before it passed, they were both against it. And now they're trying to sell you on their alternative program. I don't blame them, the folks who are looking at them saying, this doesn't jive, something's not right here. And well, I think they ought to probably just kind of let the process work through the Supreme Court and then come back next well, year. They're and saying they, there's a function of Senator Blackwell's bill, which is true, that says this only becomes law if the Supreme Court rules 65 unconstitutional but you got to remember Blackwell's bill is just has completely different aspects <laughs> of what passed in 65 and we'll, we'll watch the process play out on, on this one we're out of time don't forget you can watch this program online you can also listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org for day-to-day -day coverage follow MPB news on Twitter and Facebook Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.